So we've been sold this false bill of goods in some way about, okay, I'm going to wait until X happens and then I'm going to do what I really want. Instead of being creative and saying, how do I really just incorporate everything into my life right now? And it can be done. Like that's where, you know, real creativity is, is bringing all that together. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders who are rewriting the rules of sales and success. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. Today's interview on Selling with Love is with the Cosmic Sloth. Cosmic Sloth, how are we doing today? You woke me up from my nirvana sleep, Jason. Jason, my full name is the Cosmic Sloth of 1,000 Sons. Tell us more about the Thousand Sons. Well, imagine if a thousand suns were each to light another thousand suns, and then they each lit another thousand suns, there would be a billion points of light across the entire universe. Mmm, namaste. Cosmic Sloth, always a pleasure to have a conversation. And for everybody tuning in, welcome to the real interview that we're going to be having today. I'm so excited that we're going to have Yannick Silver joining us again with the Cosmic Sun, as we're going to have some discussions about how we can actually have fun as a business strategy. And for anybody who's on a mission to make a change in the world right now, you're going to be inspired by this vision of a thousand suns. Perhaps you find yourself being one of those suns that's trying to make a difference. And we're going to talk about what are the things that you can be doing so that when you're on your journey, you can feel purposeful and you can have fun doing it as well so that you actually are energized and excited about the mission that the world needs more than ever. Cosmic Sloth, what do you think about that? I think he wants you... <laughs> How you doing, Yannick? Creative introduction award goes to you 100%. Yeah, well, the Cosmic Sloth of a Thousand Suns is available for Cosmic Oracle readings too. Who knows? Maybe we'll, we'll bring it back for an Oracle reading somewhere. Well, can you buy a sloth or is this an exclusive? Not yet. <laughs> it's in the works. I've had many people actually ask about buying a Cosmic Sloth. Right now, it's a very overpriced prototype. There you go. Well, we keep it at that because its value is very intrinsic as well. So it is priceless at this point. Well, Yannick, just to kind of get a formality out is just the fact that, you know, we've had some conversations together. We always resonate really well. You're doing some massive, massive transformation for a lot of entrepreneurs out there. You know, Evolve Enterprise is the book that you've written. You have the Cosmic Journal that has been created and you're the founder of Maverick 1000. Again, you're inspiring, you know, top entrepreneurs with a global network on really trying to help reach the transformation, the level of consciousness that needs to happen on the planet. You've raised over $3 million when it comes to a lot of the impact that you're trying to do with all the different fundraisers. And you have fun and you have this energy that you bring about everything that you do, which is why I kind of wanted to angle our whole conversation with this idea about fun as a business strategy. And kind of the first questions I wanted to ask right from the gate is that can most people would associate fun with a distraction for the mission that needs to be done? How have you been able to use fun as kind of a fuel for the activities and the business purpose that you do? Yeah. So I think of it as these interconnected, I never knew what it was called before, but a Venn diagram, these three interconnected circles. And it came to me, maybe it's been 15 years now, maybe longer, where I was kind of just exploring, you know, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? And I asked a really simple question, which is, am I happy? Would I be happy doing what I'm doing 10 years from now? And I was, I was doing really well in the digital marketing space. And, and you know, everyone from the outside would be like, oh, yeah, this, this person is incredibly successful. 
But when I got down to it in my journal, the answer was no. And it was like, all right, well, what would make me happy? And it was these three interconnected circles. And originally it was a dollar sign, a happy face, and a heart all interconnected together. And when you start thinking about it, and now it's changed into a tree to represent growth, impact, and fun, but it's similar. And when you think about it, you know, when you're having more fun, you can actually make more money. And when you're making more money, you can have more fun. And when you're making a greater impact, you can have more fun and so forth. So they are interconnected if you allow them to be. And for me, that's kind of like the nucleus. It's like the DNA for everything that we do. And it's not just fun in a vacuum just for fun's sake. I really love this idea of like purposeful play. You know, what's the real reason behind it? And then how do we engineer that purposeful play around it? I'd be curious to know if you've noticed why we have such a belief, it seems, that fun has to be kind of the reward after you've put in the kind of work and the misery and the nine to five. Like we have this idea that, all right, once I get through the slog, then I get to have my cake at the end. And that seems to be the predominant mindset about how work and life is supposed to be. Why did we get it that way? I don't know. I mean, we could probably go back to some sort of like Protestant value somewhere of hard work or something else. It's one of those things that I think it comes down to belief and it comes down to, you know, what you're willing to say yes to and what you're going to accept. And so if you're willing to say, I can not only, you know, be successful, whatever that means to you, and make an impact in the world and have some fun in the process, you know, why not? You get to make up your own rules. And so if you are only focused on the hard work and believing, you know, Tim Ferriss was a good example of this when he put out his four hour work week and he really helped, I think, shatter some of these, you know, maybe misconceptions in some way where people are like, okay, I'm going to wait until I retire and then I'm going to do whatever I really want. And, and he was, you know, this big proponent, I think of like mini retirements or like baking in what you really want to do along the way when you can actually really enjoy it and not wait. And so we've been sold this false bill of goods in some way about, okay, I'm going to wait until X happens whatever that X is for you, the kids leave the house or I retire or you know I get the big client or whatever X is for you. And then I'm going to do what I really want. Instead of being creative and saying, how do I really just incorporate everything into my life right now? And it can be done. Like that's where you know real creativity is, is bringing all of that together. I'd love to hear from you because we've had this conversation on a different platform about how you had this kind of call it a paradigm shift of, you know, okay, I got clear on these kind of three values that are important to me, fun being one that you brought in very strongly compared to what you were doing before. What were some of the first things you decided to do once you had this knowledge that fun needed to be integrated? And what was the result about doing that thing? Well, so it was interesting because it wasn't like a light switch where I was like, oh, I'm going to have more fun because I wasn't having fun before. It was part of my world. But when I looked at what made me happier and where I was most alive, it was definitely in these moments that felt like play. And play is a really interesting word. There's a great book by, I think the guy's name is Stuart Brand or Band. I can't totally remember. And we can look it up, but it's literally called Play. He's an expert in play and why all mammals actually play. And it's just super powerful. And he says something like, like the opposite of play is not, is not work. The opposite of play is depression. And so we are literally depressed if we're not playing. And so you can look at it yourself too. Like when are you most alive? When are you most lit up? When are you most enthusiastic and inspired? It's probably doing something that you really enjoy and probably feels like play. And that whole idea of, you know, you never have to work a day in your life if your work is your play and your play is your work or something like that. And you start combining that all together. And I started learning that 
you know, I think from a really early age of just incorporating things that just I would do just for myself, like in writing a sales letter or something like that, I might put in something funny that would just amuse me into the letter. And sometimes people would catch it, sometimes they wouldn't, but it was just fun for me. And then I would do other things like, I love this idea of unique experiences and it really brings people together. And I think we were probably one of the biggest events that happened very early on in the internet marketing, digital marketing days where I held my 30th birthday bash and I just turned 50. So that gives you a little time frame. And the idea was, it was going to be Yannick's 30th birthday bash. It was $50 to get in. All of it went to Make-A-Wish Foundation. So we raised $25,000 from Make-A-Wish. We had 500 some people there. And then the idea was like, let's make it an actual birthday party. And we had like a gag gift contest. We had, so people like came in. I remember one person brought their beagle, like a dog in to sing happy birthday to me. I just got the most random gifts and things like that. And then we had a huge cake. It was in Disney World. We had Mickey Mouse sing happy birthday song to me, but we didn't have enough cake. So the slices were like, like this thin for everybody. But still we had confetti everywhere. It was like a big birthday party. It was a big kids party. And then I had all my friends come and speak and present. And so it was like really the first time that I incorporated a lot of fun, essentially, into an experience, but it had also meaning in it. It had impact where we, you know, we raised $25,000 and I was like, oh, that was really fun to do. Let's do more of that. And let's lean more and more and more into that. I like it. And just to give the kind of reference here, Play is the book by Stuart Brown. And so How It Shapes the Brain, Opens Imagination, Invigorates the Soul, just to kind of make that plug there. Yeah, all right. I was close. I had a BR. <laughs> you had it. You had it. Sorry, Stuart. Yeah, I remember one of the most profound questions that we had in our previous conversations around the fact that do you need to go around the chase of success before you realize that's maybe not the most important thing or are there are ways that you can bypass that? I kind of want to ask a question around a similar type of philosophical question, which is, do you need to kind of master the money-making or the impact before you can open yourself up to fun? Or do you find that you can reach those results faster if you are open to fun? You know, I think that a lot of people, again, like it depends on what they believe. And if they're looking at a very linear aspect of like, I have to do this in one phase of my life, and then I'm okay to do this versus can I integrate all of it? And especially like, you know, I love empowering questions, which would be something like, how can I, you know, incorporate more fun and impact into my world right now and not wait or something like that? You know, anything like that, that makes it a more open-ended question that allows you to, to start investigating and seeing what could be possible. And so I love questions like that. I would sit with a question like that at the top of my journal or at the top of a yellow legal pad and then just write answer after answer after answer. And, you know, after you get to like 10 or 15, you're going to probably get better answers than your first two or three. And then the other technique that I use a lot is I use my non-dominant hand. So I'm right-handed. So I use my left hand to actually chime in. And that's really powerful because it's going to unlock your entire brain. It's like a, it's a holistic approach and you're going to get like a wiser perspective on something. So, you know, again, it's like, what do you believe what could happen? And even, you know, I love experiments too. So it's like, all right, maybe I don't fully believe this, but may, but let's just say it's a maybe. And then how do we incorporate a little bit more of this into what I'm doing? And you can do it in a way that you start seeing results. Like I remember, I hadn't thought about this in a long time. We're coming up on Halloween, kind of close here. And I love Halloween. So, you know, one of my things was like, you never break character. And so I would dress up as whatever my character was, but you never break character in the entire night. And my wife wanted to kill me. We moved in, now it's been a while, but we moved into this nice new neighborhood and all the neighbors were at least 10 years older than us. And we had just met them 
but only the neighbors. And then they they threw a huge Halloween party. So I showed up as Borat. And so I had like the green sort of, you know, unitard thing underneath, but then I had the gray suit. But, uh, you know, I walked up to everyone and they're like, oh, you know, Yadik, this is our neighbor so-and-so. And, you know, I'm like, oh, nice to meet you. My name is Borat. And like kissing all the random neighbors that I've never met before. And my wife was breastfeeding at the time. She wasn't drinking. She's like, oh my God, I, I need to get out of here. But so the entire night was that. And so I love Halloween. And so I would incorporate some of that into some of our promotions because people like personality. And so, you know, this is just reminding me of some of the things that we did. Like we were selling a business copywriting workshop, but we did an entire Halloween theme around that where I was Count Yannick because that was one of my costumes one year. So I had a picture of that, you know, the Count from Sesame Street, where he's like, one, two, three, ah, ah, ah. And by the way, the count as a costume gets very old when you don't break character the entire night. So you need more talking points. Like Borat had more talking points, but the count has very few talking points. But so I had that. And then I did like a little animation of Yannick turning into a bat and, you know, the spooky Halloween promotion. But And it ended up being a great seller for us because people love, I don't know, just the fun of it, the more personality of it. So whatever it is. And so you can add all these elements into whatever you're doing. And again, just looking at as experiments and be like, all right, well, what can I do? And each person's personality or the way that they're going to incorporate whatever you want to call fun is going to be different. Like it doesn't have to be, oh, you know, I heard this guy Yannick talk about fun. So I'm going to do the exact same thing that that he did. And I'll, I'll give you a bunch of other examples too, as we go along, but it's more uh, powerful when you include, when it's really to you, like what's authentic to you, like what is fun for you? What's interesting for you? And for me, I'm a little bit goofy. I'm a little bit kind of silly. And, you know, it comes from a place where I just want to play with other people and enjoy that part. And so if they're not into it, great. But more people are into that than just a boring, you know, kind of rapper that you get in most businesses. I love what you're bringing up here because there's two things that I find um, I get drawn myself into is for one, there's a side of me that's like, hey, just play it safe within those bounds of what is expected, right? So you don't dare to do things like your example of the count and you're like, okay, I just need to follow the blueprints that are pretty sterile. But again, it doesn't allow you to stand out and you're trying to play it safe. And guess what? Safety doesn't always bring the biggest impact neither. It doesn't make you stand out in a market right now that there's so much noise as well. But there's another mistake that I could find myself doing, which is just like you said, I listen to this podcast and I'm like, I got to dress like the count. I got to copy a kind of strategy from another person that has said, this has worked for me and I'll do that. And so I'd be curious to know the journey for someone that you recommend to be more connected with understanding, like, how do I show up more authentically? What does fun look like for me? And how do you start even translating that in the way that you operate? Because it's not about copying Yannick. It's not about copying Jason. It's about actually being more of ourselves. So what are some of the exercises you suggest for somebody to kind of break through that resistance? Yeah. Uh, so I, I love connecting back to your 11-year-old self. It's usually a good time period where you were kind of developed, but you weren't a full grown whatever. And like, it's like, what were you into? What did you like? What got you excited? And tap back into that 11-year-old self and maybe even have a conversation with them in your imagination. I recommend even like having a conversation back and forth with your right hand and left hand. So you would actually ask questions using, you know, you know, again, I'm right-handed, but switched around if you're left-handed. So you ask questions using your dominant hand and answer as your 11-year-old self with your non-dominant hand. And you'll really connect to that idea of play. And then also, so I've been 
And recently, you know, going back and I just got out of a darkness retreat and one of the things in there, and I, I realized it before was I didn't feel 100% safe and full expression of my creativity. And it was really around that exact same age, that 11 year old self. I got in trouble for uh, creating a parody of Star Wars, but it was with men and women's genitalia were the characters. And that's what I drew on this folder. <laughs> and then my teacher saw it and then sent me straight to the principal's office. So I was like, you know, full of shame and then like erasing it on the way up and so forth. And so, you know, I had this whole like little moment in the darkness retreat with my 11 year old self of just like, you know, just appreciating and, and bringing love to, to this little, you know, goofy, silly, creative star being, and just allowing myself to, to then feel fully safe from, from that part too. So, so there could be some healing aspects too of your, you know, let's say your 11 year old self, it could be your eight year old or six year old or whatever it was, but tuning back into what got you excited as a kid and what felt like play is really going to be one of them. The other thing is, I think our weirdness is our superpower. And I love the word weird. And so many times like weird has got this connotation of like, it's not good, but weird is actually from middle English. It's like from 1400s from WYRD. And it means something like the path of destiny. And so it's super powerful. I was connected to the weird sisters, but like, you know, embrace your weirdness. Like what made you weird and highlight that maybe a little bit more, you know, again, if you're in a, let's say a very kind of straight laced B2B kind of environment, you might not be fully weird, but you might be surprised. You're probably going to find more people than not who are into what you're into. And I've been, you know, pleasantly surprised to see, you know, the more I open up, the more people can relate to it. Like, you know, like you mentioned the cosmic journal, like that was really written for myself as a bit of an art project, where it's 108 days every single day of a, of a page that I doodled and then wrote whatever came to me after meditating or taking different journals that I've had. And then it started becoming an oracle. And, but it was really meant for me and it's never fully meant to be published, but publishing it has, you know, definitely been the fullest expression of who I am and just allows you then to, I think, go further and further as you step more into your full authentic self. Well, I have a copy of that cosmic journal. It's always a fun thing to peel up a page and see what actually gets, you know, brought to the surface because the prompts are so good. And I love this concept of like embracing your weirdness, whatever that is, within the bounds of your corporate policies, of course. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was a Zappos thing too. I think it was, you know, Zappos was really about corporate culture and I forgot what they called it. I think it was like embrace your weird or something like that. It was just one of their core values. And so they hired for weird. I like that you bring the element of fun because, you know, for one thing, you know, I talk about sales a lot. And one of the quotes, I believe it's Brian Tracy talks about how sales is actually the transference of enthusiasm. And if you think about, you know, your 11 year old self in like, in his flow state, excited about sharing a project is almost that like that glitter in the eyes of an 11 year old that you're like, oh my God, everything's possible. And when you come with that kind of energy makes you extremely persuasive as well. And so to me, I can definitely see how incorporating that value, if you're directly working in sales, ends up being something that can be so powerful in actually helping you make the impact that you want to make, which always happens one transaction at a time. And so I would want to caution anybody who's listening to this, thinking about the value of fun being taken lightly, because I think it could be one of the most underrated and effective things that you can integrate in the way that you approach every sale to make you much more enthusiastic and much more convincing because 
you have that joy element in the process of selling. And again, you've shown these examples that happen from a copyright perspective, but even on a one-on-one basis, I can tell that this would be one of the most effective things someone could do for themselves. I wanted to kind of talk about the impact part because I know that once you've done this whole alignment and you brought the fun, you've actually been on this mission, lighting the thousand suns. And we had our wonderful cosmic sloth introduce the concept earlier. And I wanted to kind of go deeper into that. You're working on inspiring these thousand suns. And I wanted to understand the why behind you've put a lot of your energy and focus into this project. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's about leverage. It's about like, how do we nudge consciousness using the leverage of business? And, and I think all of us right now, there's a page in the journal that was a very serendipitous page, I think, that came about because I said, you know, 108 days every night, no matter what. And this was like three o'clock in the morning was one time I was super tired and I drew this entire picture. And then the quote was supposed to be, bloom where you're planted. And my pen sort of dropped and I literally like fell asleep as I was drawing. So I spent all this time drawing this and then it was supposed to say, bloom where you're planted. And then I wrote P-L-A-N-E. And I'm like, ah, oh, what am I supposed to do with that? And I'm like, all right, there's no mistakes. And then it became bloom where you're planted. And, and it's really the concept of like, where are you right now? Right. So for me, it's all about the entrepreneurial world. And it's the leverage is these thousand sons who have their own communities of entrepreneurs or are leading other leaders or helping transform other leaders. And then how do we bring wisdom and higher consciousness to them in some way and bring them together so that they can have the ripples of impact to those that they serve, so lighting other suns. And so that idea actually came to me when things were kind of going sideways with Maverick. And you know, it was the first time ever that things weren't quite working out with any business idea or thing that I had kind of put out there as so I would just always follow my intuition. And so it took me asking my 111-year-old self, what do I need to know? And I wrote with my left hand, I wrote light a thousand suns who each had the potential to light another thousand suns. And it really changed the trajectory of what we were doing it was interesting many years later, reading Bhagavad Gita, there's actually a chapter called Cosmic Vision. And in there, it says something like, if a thousand suns were to rise in the heavens at the same time, the blaze of their light would resemble the splendor of that supreme spirit. And it was just like this magic synchronicity about the thousand suns and so forth. And so it just was like this massive wink from the universe that, yeah, that's the right thing. And so when I think about 8 billion people, to me, that seems overwhelming. But when I think about a thousand sons who can each light another thousand sons in whatever way that means for them. And then those others light sons in their own way. That feels doable. That feels very, very, very doable. I think we underestimate the ripple effect of every action that we take on how many people it can actually uplift as well. And I'd be curious to know if you'd have any kind of word of advice for someone who feels that in them, they have a light they want to share, but they've been keeping it dim, maybe not wanting to shine as bright. And they could even potentially see themselves being one of these thousand suns. What are the usual recommendations you would give for somebody who's kind of, you know, having that urge, but hasn't manifested it yet? You know, it's almost like there's different layers to it. And, you know, I've been on this path for a long time and I've still just recently have been like, you know, have I been shining as brightly as I can as well? Like, and so I think there's layers and layers to it, but just go ahead and, you know, go back to the Bhagavad Gita, which one of the concepts was that you're only entitled essentially to your labor and not the fruits of your labor. And so many of us are like, all right, I want to be this viral sensation or I want this thing to sell this many units or whatever it is. And just being really in love with you putting your full heart and soul into something even if it's for a certain time period, like, again, I love these experiments, so the, you know, these sort of closed box ways of playing around. So if it's 
X number of days that you're like, I'm just going to put out one thing that fully expresses who I am or whatever it is. And I believe in being prolific and not perfect and you get better and better as you put things out there. So making that commitment to yourself that I'm going to do whatever, 20 days, 100 days, 108 days, whatever it is, and just doing that. And even just for yourself, maybe it's not even putting anything out to the public, but just doing it for yourself and then deciding what you want to do with it. Because I guarantee you, the byproduct of whatever you do is going to be bigger than you can even imagine. Well, I appreciate you shared that you even have that self-doubt within yourself. Because obviously I asked this question for a friend, not for myself. Because <laughs> yeah, the, the self-doubt on the journey does happen. And I think we're always trying to find a way that we can do a little better. And I think just putting yourself out there, as you said, little by little, and this theory of constraint of being able to kind of just, okay, let me just do this thing for this time period, allows you to actually get over a lot of the mental blocks that would hold back in the process as well. Yannick, there's this Fear, and I don't even think it's a real fear because I think people are going to get this, but I guess I'd, I'd just want to paint the other side of the coin is, do you ever think that somebody would be listening to something like this episode and think, oh yeah, all I need is fun? Fantastic. I'm just going to eat pizza. I'm not going to do any of the work. Is that what we're trying to learn here? What would be the kind of shadow side of incorporating fun and how do you make sure that doesn't happen? <laughs> well, let's talk about happiness in that fleeting way, right? Like it's like, all right, you know, what makes me happy is I'm going to eat pizza and ice cream. Pretty soon, if you keep eating pizza and ice cream, you're definitely going to get a stomachache. Like you can't keep doing it. However, if something is, you know, joyful, if it's playful for you, there's actually a difference. Like it's a quick little ice cream hit versus actually being something that is sustaining because it comes from deep within you of who you are and your soul that you want to express, but it's expressing your own unique way. And that feels like play. I made this illustration one time where I had a picture of the earth and it had like a rule thing taped to it. It says rule number one, play fully. And fully was in parentheses. But that idea of play fully is you being fully expressed and not just like play for like, you know, I'm going to go play tag or duck, duck, goose or whatever that, that has its own reason for being too. But what's play fully look like for you? And then I wrote equals purposefully and profitfully. And so, you know, you can combine all of that together. And again, if you give yourself permission to do that, but there's fun and then there's like, okay, what feels like your true expression of who you are? And it's like, maybe what's a little dopamine hit first, what feels like it's an earned aspect of, you know, like when I did those pages every single day, like I would check the box and it felt great. And that felt like play, but it was work in a way, but it didn't feel like work. Yeah. It's funny because I'm just thinking about my current state right now. Like I'm in the busiest I think I've been in years right now. And I'm having the most fun I've had in years as well. And to me, that starts being that intersection that makes me feel like I'm on the right path because I'm doing the stuff. It's impactful. I'm aligning people. People are being drawn toward me. And even as you speak, it sounds like there's a lot of synchronicities that seem to happen in your life to either nudge you in the right direction, confirm the direction that you're in. And I wanted to kind of uh, understand your relationship with, you know, this element of luck or, or kind of divine intervention and how much does it play a part in guiding us in the right path? So synchronicity is one of my favorite topics and favorite things to like think about and connect to. Luck to me, the best definition I ever heard of that is, you know, a guy that I followed named Earl Nightingale, who I would listen to when I was like 17 years old in my car in tapes. 
and I'd be driving to hockey games and my hockey buddies would be like looking at all these tapes. They're like, what are these? I'm like, don't worry, you're not going to like any of these. But his definition was like, luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. And I love that definition. But I think there's a difference between synchronicity and luck and synchronicity. You know, Carl Jung really was, I think the person that really brought synchronicity into the forefront of a concept. And it's been around for obviously a long time. But that idea of meaningful coincidences is probably the best way that people have described synchronicities. But but it's something that happens that, you know, if you're a very, very logical person, there's always a way of maybe counter explaining it or rationally explaining it. And there's always like that openness to it in that way. But I like living a life that's a little bit more magical and seeing how things are not only cause and effect related, but very non-local aspects. And to me, synchronicity is the language of the universe. It's, it's like the way that the universe communicates with us. And a synchronicity can be a big one or it could be a really, really big one. And it's one of those, like you just tap into the feelings. Like when you have a synchronicity that happens, you're like, usually there's this wonder, there's awe, there's a bit of like amusement. There's sometimes, you know, it, it might feel like a, a funny joke in some way. And I've had some really epic synchronicities and sometimes they span years and years apart in multiple layers. And it's really fun, but it's also the more awareness you bring to them, the more you're going to see them. And even, you know, I've had books show up in most unexpected ways. My wife is like deathly afraid of any kind of bugs and spiders and so forth. And, and I still play men's league hockey, which are usually late at night. And so she would text me and she's like, there's a spider underneath this book that you need to go get or something like that. And it'd be like in the hallway. And it was during one of these darker periods of my life. And it was a book called The Great Work of Your Life that she had used to like, you know, to trap a spider or something like that. And that looked at the Bhagavad Gita from this aspect of, of people's lives when they fully lived their dharma. And then they got into this like almost like turbocharged aspect. So it's like Nelson Mandela and Susan B. Anthony and Harriet Tubman and all sorts of people throughout history that when they really discover their dharma. And that's where I first got exposed to Bhagavad Gita and this that concept of like the fruit of your labor and, and different things like that. And it was just such a pivotal book that showed up in the most unexpected way. And I've had multiple books show up like that and multiple people and multiple allies and multiple, like, you know, so many things that, you know, I, that I just continue almost like expecting synchronicities to show up and be like, all right, you know, the more magical it is, the more it means that you're on the right path. I love how it's like you can choose the story of what it means and the fact that you choose that empowered version of the story actually makes the story even more plausible and if it supports you to me that's like the easiest hack is to just keep aware look for signs and then when you see them show that you know you keep going and you know I've always had these kind of surrender moments and they usually come from like getting outside of that kind of busyness and I know you recently wrote about you know how the whole COVID crisis ended up being like a purposeful pause for kind of humanity as a whole. And uh, I'd be curious to know from that experience of taking that pause from, you know, the experience and looking at it from that perspective, what are some of the greatest kind of pivots or discoveries and alignments that you've been able to bring into your business and your life? You know, it didn't feel as big of one for me because I had already been exploring so much of this, but it really felt like one for many other people that I've interacted with where they started asking like, what is my work that I'm doing? Is that really the most meaningful thing I can be doing? You know, how am I spending my time? How am I, you know, doing whatever? Even the bigger things like, you know, our trust level in organizations that we thought were trustworthy. And so, you know, I think it shattered some illusions that people might've had. And I think it was a huge catalyst in so many ways 
for nudging people into a more aligned direction for whatever that looked like for them. And if you look at it, it's like, you know, even though we don't want to go through these periods of, I don't know, turmoil or very tumultuous sort of topsy-turviness, you look at your own life in a micro and a macro way, those are usually your biggest times that you grow. And, and obviously, you know, I don't think there's ever been a time like this that we've been so connected because of the internet and other things that it truly was this worldwide phenomenon of everyone going through very similar aspect. And of course, everyone went through it in their own different way based on where they were at home and what they had around them. But, you know, I think almost everyone who went through it looks at that there was probably something deeper that they've come out the other side with because of this force, like it's almost like a forced meditation in a way is a forced stillness. Like anytime you get still, you get more insights. Yeah. Well, and again, having the choice to frame it that way actually makes you start looking at it, every good thing that comes from it as well. So I'm glad we opened up that window for people. And, you know, one of the things right now is the pause has done but it's not like we went back to normal. It sounds like we've just stepped into this new reality that's accelerating even faster than before, which was already going pretty fast. Why do we want to go back to normal? Normal wasn't that great before. Well, that's what brings me to asking you, are you excited about the future? And what are some of the coolest things you think are coming up? I'm pretty much an internal optimist. So I'm definitely excited by the future. And, you know, it almost feels like there's... so. I go back, I love ancient civilizations and looking at, you know, a much broader, longer perspective of time. And most people would think time is very linear. It goes, you know, from A to B and that's it. But if you look at, there's a lot of civilizations, especially the Mayans and others, the Yugas from India, they all looked at cycles of time and then cycles within cycles. And so when you put that perspective on, it's really interesting. So I think of it it's actually the last page of the journal talking about this aspect. And so just like there's day and night, right? Like it's a 12 hour approximate day cycle and 12 hour night cycle. You know, it depends on the time of the year. And then you got your season cycle. That's another cycle. Then you got your year cycle. And then you got like these big, big, big cycles that the Mayans are tracking 13 calendars. And their longest one was something like 5,260 years. And then if you multiply that by five, it's very close to the precession of the earth that rational sort of scientists will only say is the wobble of the earth. But then you have, you know, other people will talk about that. No, this is because of where we are in the galaxy, according to the central sun, because again, there's cycles within cycles. There's all this rotation and movement going on. And so if you put, you know, this longer time period on where it's like, you know, just be very, very general. We'll say 13,000 years of light and 13,000 years of dark. And that corresponds to consciousness. And you look at the kind of conversations and kind of things that are happening recently, that's what gets me hopeful because even, you know, us having conversations, I can't remember, I think it was before we started our actually live interview, talking about meditation and how we got into meditation. And like, you know, if I would have asked a room of entrepreneurs 10 years ago, eight years ago, you know, who meditates in here be very small group. Now it's much more popular and it's not just because it's a fad, but it's like a part of this whole awakening process where again, you can bloom where you're planted. So if you're in a particular industry or sector or marketplace or wherever you are, you're starting to like popcorn up and bloom and your consciousness is expanding. And so now it's like, all right, well, what can I do within where I am 
And how do I put out my message or how do I help light other suns or whatever that looks like, or how do I be a lighthouse to others? And so there's all these things that I'm hopeful for. And, you know, I'm also seeing that there's, you know, groups that want more control and want to clamp down on more free speech and so forth and not make that available because, you know, they want certain narratives to be told. And that's the only thing that they want to be shared. So it's a really interesting kind of dynamic that's happening right now, but I am excited and hopeful for the future because I see these awakenings that are happening. Yannick, it's always a pleasure to have a conversation with you and knowing that there are players in the field like you that are popcorning and encouraging other popcorns to have permission to pop as well, I think is nudging us towards that brighter future that you speak about that I also have optimism for. And for everybody tuning in, what I do want to encourage everyone is to go to yannicksilver.com. The first three chapters of Evolve Enterprise book is available. You can just opt in there. And I highly recommend you get started on that. And more than likely, you will continue to grab a copy for yourself as well. There's tons of events that Yannick hosts with the Mavericks, and there's ways to get involved when it comes to the Thousand Suns. But this would be your entry journey into this concept. But Yannick, I love that we've talked about fun. We've seen how it integrates with the other values. It allows you to actually have more effectiveness, more alignment, more of the synchronicities, more of the luck, all of that, when you start actually being a lot more of your authentic self. And, you know, as far as fun is defined, you have your certain way. And I love that you've added the caveat that we all define it in our own way. But the moment you integrate that, you can see a lot more things happening smoothly. And although fun was the topic of today, you are on the Selling with Love podcast. So I need to ask you, what does selling with love mean to you? Oh, selling with love to me means that you are transferring that enthusiasm, like you talked about, that love of whatever you are sharing and you know it's going to be a value for somebody else and that you love them so much that you want them to experience whatever it is that you're able to provide them. And it comes from a place of, you know, you're going to put your full heart and soul into whatever it is that you're providing them and you want them. If they're the right person, then you want it's out of love that you ask him to be a part of it. Yannick, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for coming back and sharing so openly. And for everybody tuning in, definitely take to heart what you've heard today. I think that for a lot of us that get to operate from this level, we get to be a little brighter and be one of those sons that are going to help us as this mission that we are all together in a brighter future that we're trying to manifest as well. And of course, keep selling with love. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast.